Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. Hello, everyone. I'm so grateful you have joined us today. I'm so excited about our guest. Our guest today is Chris Jackson. I've seen Chris on numerous Facebook groups and in posting about many different topics. He is obviously an expert in the syndication field. I'm excited to, to get into this show. Uh, hello, Chris. Thanks for being on the show today. Uh, thank you, Randy. I'm happy to be here. Chris, will you give us a little bit about your background and why real estate syndication is, a, is the place for you? Sure. Um, our company is Sharpline Equity. We are a private investment company uh, specializing in multifamily apartment complexes with a focus on buy and hold to, to produce consistent income to our investors. Uh, my partner and I have uh, been active in Sharpline Equity for the last three years. However, we do have combined experience of about over 15 years, uh, really touching upon all the different types of business models in real estate investing. Uh, wholesaling, lending money, uh, being a passive equity investor in a deal on multifamily, flipping houses, uh, single family rental portfolios, uh, you name it. So uh, we've, we've touched upon them all and really our love, our focus, our passion is multifamily apartment complexes and syndication. Cool. Well, you know, on some recent posts that I've seen you uh, commenting on and talking about, you seem... Uh, like an expert in the due diligence process, and I would really like to get into a previous deal that that you uh, you had to walk away from, and I'd like like for you to kind of go back to the beginning of that when you first, you know, it, it takes so much work to get to that step. You know, you've raised all this capital, you've spoken to investors, you've talked to brokers. I mean, it, you've taken so many steps, but then the difficult day and that decision uh, when you have to say goodbye to that deal, right? Um, but you know that's what's best. And I'd really like for you to for you to explain some of that process to us and us get into the to the weeds on that. Sure. Uh, we had an off-market deal that came to us from relationships with a broker that we had been uh, developing for quite some time. I would call it uh, six months. So you put in that time to create a relationship with brokers, talking to them, befriending them, getting to know them, and then having them trust that you are going to be uh, a, a syndication company that's going to be able to close on a deal and you put all in that work. The deal comes to you as a hundred plus unit in Atlanta. And uh, we acted very quickly. So the, the broker knew that we were serious. We started doing some initial uh, negotiations to get to LOI to see if we were going to be able to get there without having to start to spend a ton of money in contract. Some people go right to contract and just spend a ton of money. We're a little opposite. We, this is a seller's market, but we do, uh, we do let you, sometimes people have to go right to contract. That's not really our style. Uh, and they put down this money that's uh, earnest money deposit. That's non-refundable. That, that's not for us. So we, uh, but we did negotiate, got close to price and terms, knew that we were going to be right there in an LOI, got the LOI signed, even though LOI signed doesn't really mean anything, uh, but got it to contract, start doing the due diligence Everything's lining up just the way we thought. Uh, line it up so that we can fly down there. You have, uh, you're getting into contract now. You have legal expenses. 
Uh, you fly down there. This is where when you do the inspection, things usually go wrong. Inspection goes great. A uh, couple things here and there that you find in the inspection, but nothing really that would uh, even maybe would want us to nickel and dime a retrade. So we're feeling positive. Fly home the next day and attorney starts bringing over some stuff that's found in the title search. And there were some complexities that depending on how far you wanted to get onto the, into the weeds on this, but I'll go high level first, but there were some title issues. I think we could have gotten over those, but then there were some very, very complex uh, insurance issues that ultimately we couldn't get over. It was, it was a surprise. The insurance was going to go up by quite a bit because of a few incidents. Uh, the due diligence, financial due diligence proved that their old, uh, or old, yes, their old insurance policy was a certain amount and that it was essentially almost going to quadruple. And uh, we then had to go into this, the, the huge hustle on a few things. One, didn't want to lose the deal, so maybe there was a way we could solve it. Uh, then we had to also figure out if, uh, you know, was, what else is the seller hiding? That's a little bit of a, like, why didn't you tell us that? If, if it was the month that we were doing the financial due diligence that the rate went up, so we would need the next month PL statement to actually have seen it. So it would have been further along into the process of spending money and possibly beyond the point where your money does go hard, where you lose it. And we weren't prepared to do that. Uh, so we ultimately, after a lot of hustling to try to figure out uh, if there was a solution to this problem, uh, found that any solution that we found to this problem was putting our investors too much at risk for this deal. And even with a retrade of call it something significant, we felt that the risk was too much to bear for our investors. So with fairly substantial amount of due diligence, money spent by us, our team, that does not get passed along to the investors. We're doing that as stewards for our investors to find those deals for them. That's why we feel so strongly about when we bring a deal to our investors, we have put in the work and they know it and they trust it. Uh, that we walked away from it, but this is after we had all reached out to our investors, they're excited, and then we had to walk away. And in explaining it to our investors, we were really pleased to hear from them that they, like, it, they strengthened the bond that was already strong with our investors because they knew that we were willing to walk away and not just ride the excitement of a 100 plus unit. I mean, that's our first large deal. Um, I'm not going to chest pump and say we've got thousands of units. You know, our biggest deal is a 60 units. We were ready to get that 100 plus. And I'm proud of our team. We were JVing with another group and proud of our team that we all uh, did the right thing and walked away. Tough, tough discipline. Uh, I'm not going to say that was easy. I had a few beers that night. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but overall, proud that we, made, uh, that we made that decision. What's interesting is that the seller has come back to us uh, and solve some of those issues, which reignited it again, but still ultimately it's not the right fit for our investors. Wow. Tell me, you know, during that due diligence process, what led you to find those problems? Like what, what started you down that road to be able to locate those things? Or is that something that uh, you would always check uh, to find those insurance problems or, or other problems you encountered? You know, how, how can we be sure to find those, those problems during our due diligence process? 
Sure, a learning lesson for everybody here would be one, um, this was a pretty unique circumstance. Uh, this is part of, you have to understand this is part of the risk. There are certain things that if you ask for these things too early in the process, especially in a seller's market, they're gonna tell you to get lost. So one title issue you're never gonna find until you get in there, unless you're really doing, unless you're paying money to do title searches. I think we could have gotten over that one, but it was just adding the straws on the camel's back, if you will. Um, insurance issue, no, this was, uh, the real history came in what's called loss run reports. Now you should always be running loss run reports as part of one of your items in your contract. I think uh, lesson learned would be we will move that up as part of one of the first things that we get, maybe before you're flying down and doing uh, physical inspection, but it's tough because now this is all hindsight stuff. Like I probably would want to see if there was just something really red flag in the loss report early. Would that stop me in the future if they were holding on to that? I probably would still fly out and do the inspection. I probably like, but I would want this loss run report earlier. You can though ask your trusted insurance people to run what is called a clue report if they can on the property or ask your trusted uh, multifamily insurance brokers to try to do some uh, initial underwriting to see if there's any red flags. Could you tell us, for those who've never heard of loss run or clue report, could you ex elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in clue report. Ask your insurance company of that, but I was told that we could have had that run. Uh, it's got different nomenclature for different insurance brokers, uh, but you can ask for loss run reports and you should ask for loss run reports in your in your uh, contract. What that is, is uh, you will get at least the loss run report for the term of which the current owner has the property. And what it will show is if there were any incidents that were declared and if there were any claims and what payouts occurred. And they, there are different types of claims. You have property claims such as fire and you can see or water damage and you can see how much the damage was and how much the insurance company paid out. There's also liability claims that could be the result of one of those incidents or a different type of incident, assault and battery, any, any, any type, uh, a slip and fall, uh, any type. What happens is like any business loss run reports show a history of a property. Will an insurance company correctly or incorrectly tag it? as a problem property. Now, sometimes that can be unfair. I mean, you could have an A-class property that just has a previous owner or a current owner that just is liability claim happy. And that unfortunately would tag a property as just higher risk. Interesting. So, so these are just questions that you should just ask your insurance brokers. Okay, so the previous owner and maybe the current owner are just really claim happy what happens if we have uh, the unfortunate occurrence of a claim? Does that mean that suddenly we're the last one standing and nobody wants to insure unless they have a high rate because we're the last one that kind of tagged this property as a uh, high risk, if you will? So you think the, the title issues you could have gotten past, but yes. due to the expense of the insurance or, or what the insurance was going to be, that was really the straw that broke the camel's back for say, that was, that was what helped you all determine that, okay, we need to walk away. Is that correct? Yeah. And this property also had some other 
uh, factors in it that uh, added to the weight of that because we were going to use a bridge loan on this property because it did have eight down units, which was actually a, uh, that actually had nothing to do with the loss run, like, which is interesting. And that was an opportunity for us because we had a quote. We knew we were going to bring these eight units online. They were going to be super new and they would be able to get higher rents. And even then we were doing on nice turns on the existing units. Um, but what ultimately, so with a bridge loan, what we were worried about was, um, let's say as a new owner, you could probably get a fresh start, if you will. Like we were getting some quotes that were higher than what we were underwriting where we could probably retrade, but lower than this existing, uh, owner had jumped to. But the risk is, God forbid, year one or two, you have a claim that you need to file. And now are you just extending the same problem that this current owner has and it's on you now? And then what if a year from now or 18 months from now, because of that incident, insurance paid out uh, that you wouldn't be able to refi because now you have higher uh, expenses. Mm. Your NOI went down. And now the value that you were hoping to get from the banks, they would see a history of higher insurance payments and lower. That's, it's just too risky. Really? There are some, there are some players out there that uh, we're actually talking to some that we might, we don't, we're not in contract, but there are some players out there that uh, are view that as acceptable risk. And I'm, I'm okay with that. If they, if they and their investors view that as, as acceptable risk, that's a, that's a property they can pursue. But we reached out to some of our investors and they said, that will pass. So like, take, find another one. Can you just briefly tell us what a bridge loan is? Sure. A bridge loan is something you use when you're not going to be able to get financing through t- traditional means. Uh, the most common would be call it uh, a community bank or, or the most common right now is Fannie or Freddie agency debt where the property needs to be uh, at least 90% economic occupied uh, for call it there, there's the varies here, but call it at least six months. So when you have a property with eight down units, uh, and it is almost close to 90, this was almost close to 90% with those down units, uh, you need uh, some sort of financing vehicle that's going to pay for your, uh, you put down money obviously for your, your down payment, but they're also going to finance your rehab of certain percentages. And that probably would be for another topic, but uh, because there's all different flavors of that, but it allows you to bridge to permanent. It is your job in a short amount of time as you can, usually a year to 18 months, but around 18 months to two years, uh, you want to bridge it to get everything up and running so that you can then go and get more attractive debt, more permanent debt to uh, hold uh, for a long time or bring the property up to a place that if you chose as the syndicator and your investors were on board with it, sell to the next investor that is looking for a more turnkey product. Great. I appreciate that. So tell us about the response from the investors when you go to them after this, all this time and doing all this due diligence and communicating with them and they're excited. I guess, tell us about their response when you tell them we need to walk away from this. Uh, one, 
Well, so it's, it's, they're going through the same sine wave as you are because you're, you're going out there excited. You want to pre, uh, you want to get some pre interest out there to see uh, like, are your investors ready for this type of deal? So you get them all excited. You got to let them know. And then you do walk, you tell them why you walk, you have to tell them why you walked away and yeah, they're bummed. They're bummed, but then spending the time with your investors to tell them why, and this does take time. And that's why we, we develop such strong relationships with our investors. Um, they, they really do appreciate it. And when we bring the next one, we will tell them we've, we've checkboxed these pieces. We are ready to go. Um, I think we will probably be a little gun shy and probably like wait maybe a little, little further along into the process just to, because, uh, um, we don't want to get them excited and have, because deals fall apart all the time now, especially in this market. Uh, things are competitive. Um, you, uh, you get into contract, you find something you got to walk away on maybe even early. Uh, so you just gotta like, we, we probably would wait a little bit be like, we've knocked these things off the list and now we're ready, <laughs> but they overall very appreciative. And, uh, I'm really happy with the process. Great. Great. And I, I know there's, there's some big expenses getting up to this, this point and you see that loss or you see that time spent, but would you think it's accurate to say that all this has allowed you to is develop those relationships that much more with your investors and, and them to even have more confidence in you and your team? 100%. Uh, you hear this cliche all the time that real estate is a people business and I can't express it more uh, accurately than in these moments when you are connecting with your investors and these moments are super important and spend the time to strengthen your relationships. Great. Well, Chris, uh, to change uh, gears just a little bit, would you tell us just uh, what you see as the most difficult part for someone to get it, getting into real estate syndication? I can speak from from my experience, uh, and I know that there are th- that others feel this way, and it may resonate with them. Uh, I love multifamily. I love syndication. I love its analytics. I love its complexity. I love the the chaos and turning it into order and all the different to-do lists that come down that sub to-do lists. But one of the things that I struggled with uh, and I took years to develop this skill. And I think a lot of people kind of get shocked by it because of the people business. Part of this is that I'm actually a pretty shy and introverted person. And uh, this is about people. You're going to be dealing with raising money, developing relationships, trusted vendors, trusted brokers, really getting close with your partners. Uh, and this is so much people stuff that it is there is it's way beyond really what I thought was going to be involved because everybody's kind of in this Facebook email and to less extent phone, but you can use all these tools to increase your, I guess, scope of people that you're uh, exposed to, but you must learn how to uh, develop those strong relationships. And that, that did not come natural to me. I spent years uh, just layering confidence over time, networking events, learning how to develop strong relationships, using my, introversion as a strength, but getting over some of those things that uh, stop you from, I guess, having enough 
funnel of people, if you will, to meet because you're not, you're not going to connect with everybody, but there's so many people out there that you will connect with a lot of them in such a strong way. And I think, um, introverted people, uh, uh, retreat from when they're faced with those barriers, uh, that, Oh, well, I, I have to go raise money. Uh, how can that guy didn't invest a hundred thousand because he doesn't know you and you need to figure out how to authentically, truly develop those relationships. That's going to take time. So I would say that anybody that's looking to get an apartment, uh, syndication, develop your people skills. And a lot of times I hear this, it's true, partner with people that uh, like complement your weaknesses and vice versa. But I think there's a lot of analytical people that have out there that just end up doing spreadsheet world and they have a lot more to offer the syndication and investment and raising money world and they're giving themselves credit. Maybe they have the magic of the relationship building because they can speak to the numbers better, but they're not giving themselves a chance because of fear and they want to hide a little bit. Held down by fear, aren't we? They don't step out. Don't take that step. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, you don't know what you, you have inside you to, to, to do that. I mean, I, I never, I, I mean, really at 27, I mean, I retreated into computer programming world to avoid that. I ended up realizing that I was more of a people person and, and went up through management and, and learned how to be more of a people executive project manager type person. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have that strength inside of them. They just have to work on it. And I think that that's not taught right now. It's not taught about how to work, how to get better at being a people person. Give us, give us some advice on improving our syndication business or maybe a recent improvement that you all have made to your business. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say we were stinking at this part. Um, and it has become clear that given the seller's market, and who knows how long the seller's market is going to last, uh, the seller's market, uh, you have to be putting in a lot more offers. And your system to bring in the funnel of deals, increase the funnel of deals to spending less time on certain aspects of underwriting just to know if you're close, just to get it to the place where you want to put it in the LOI, uh, but without insulting people too, like the seller or the broker's time. Like you have to be able to have that nuance, but increasing those numbers and then having a really good follow-up uh, system. I mean, this stuff is actually pretty basic and it's all told to us. We're sitting here as 15-year veterans, kind of like combined veterans saying, uh, we need to do better at our flow management. So I would say develop that system and, and be tough on yourself in that part. Get more efficient, but don't do it cold. Like that's, that's the people part. There's a lot of people that are just throwing out LOIs now and just being like, but I was told to chuck LOIs out. You got to do it. You got to kind of do it like cool bro style. Like, Hey, Hey, Mr. Broker, uh, I'm landing over here. Here's the reasoning. Are you cool if I put in the LOI? Do you want it? And they would sometimes they'll say, "Do not put in that LOI." You you have to respect that. Like you like even if you come up with the greatest answer ever, I think some people are on this like a crusade to teach a seller's market that their actuals are going to that that's the way. Well, and you can throw your LOI in there, but I might get the call back, and you won't if you go with that ta tactic by the broker if things go sour. 
and they want to talk to the buyers that kind of get the deal. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, that's meant you've provided so much value. Unfortunately, we are out of time and I, I could ask you 10 more questions about what you just talked about, but hopefully we can have you back on very soon. I'd love to. That'd be great. Um, tell us how can, how can our guests get a hold of you or reach out to you? Sure. Uh, you can get to us uh, by going to our website, sharplineequity.com. Uh, you can uh, email me at chris at sharplineequity.com. Our phone number's on the website. I'm also on Facebook. You'll find me, um, and I connect with people on Facebook uh, very quickly. That's how I found you. All right, Chris, <laughs> thank you so much. I hope everyone has has gained so much uh, knowledge from from what Chris has has to talk to us to about today and uh, have a great day please subscribe and uh, i will talk to you tomorrow take care thank you thank you for listening to the real estate syndication show brought to you by lifebridge capital lifebridge capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50 percent of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption lifebridge capital making a difference one investor and one child at a time Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.